Welcome to the Brothers and Others Podcast. I'm your co-host Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host Jacob Marsh. And together we are the Marsh Brothers. Hey everybody, it's Jacob from the Brothers and Others podcast. We've got a great episode for you today. We talk a little bit about adulting in the 2020s, go over a tiny bit of the JFK conspiracy. We talk about, uh, we briefly go over responsible gun ownership, cooking, moving to a new city where you don't know anybody, and many other exciting topics for you today. We have an extremely special guest for you this week. His name is Forrest Taylor. Now, Forrest has known the Marsh Brothers for quite some time. He grew up in Tacoma Hills, played water polo at MSU. After college, he moved on down to Naples, Florida, to work as a buyer at his medical device company. In his free time, he likes to lift, play sports, goes to the beach, and he loves to cook delicious meals to make the Marsh Brothers hungry via Instagram. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or a topic you'd like us to cover, feel free to shoot us an email at brothersmarsh at gmail.com. As always, we appreciate you guys listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome back to the Brothers and Others podcast. I'm your co-host, Sam Marsh. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Marsh. And today we have none other than Forrest Taylor. Forrest, what's shaking, man? What's up, Sam? Glad to be here. It's been a long time coming to get on the podcast, so excited. Yeah, happy to hear you, man. We're happy to have you here. Um, and you're for those a first guest in person, technically, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Like, physically in the same city, at least. Yeah, I think so, Sam. I'm trying to, I was, I had to do some memory recall. I mean, yeah, no, that's definitely it. First person to do the quote-unquote live podcast with us, so hats off, man. Well done. Awesome. I'm glad to be the first one, so first of many, hopefully. Yeah, so uh, Forrest um, was amazing enough to come and hang out with me on my birthday weekend. Um, So thank you again for that, man. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we always talk about a lot, because for those that don't know, Forrest, Sam and I, we all went to the same elementary school. We grew up in the same neighborhood, same middle school, same high school, same college. And then we all kind of branched out on our own. Um, one of the things we wanted to talk with you about because we feel like you have a pretty unique experience is what it's been like for you moving to a new city without knowing anybody kind of what that process was like and what you do to, to make the most out of that situation. So wanted to get some feedback from you, man. Let's, uh, let's hear it. Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I moved to Naples, Florida right after, uh, graduating at Michigan State uh, with my degree in supply chain. So uh, I started out at a medical device company called Arthrex and I'm a buyer planner uh, buying 
components for shoulder surgery. So um, Naples is a little bit different than East Lansing. You know, you go from thousands upon thousands of young uh, people around your age um, to not that many young people in Florida. So uh, it was an interesting transition to uh, move down there um, and find people to hang out with and, and meet up with. Um, so Forrest, think, do you know what the median age is in Naples, Florida? Uh, not off the top of my head, Sam. Do, do you have it Googled? 65 compared to Okemos at 35. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, to your point, like, it is, like, a completely different uh, environment, and especially, you know, and that's why, you know, I'm very interested to hear what you have to tell our listeners, because I feel like, you know, I don't think it's ever, quote, unquote, easy moving to a city and making new friends, but certainly I would say it was easier for me because every city I've been to has been one of those, like, quote unquote, younger, hipper cities, you know, I also, there's always going to be like a MSU alumni club in those bigger cities. Um, and then obviously Jake, you know, when he goes over, when he went overseas, he had those teammates and everything. So, you know, I'm definitely very intrigued to hear what your kind of process has been to assimilate and find more people within your age group and make new friends. Yeah, I think when I, when I first moved there, um, I didn't really know that many people. And so it was kind of getting out of your comfort zone and going out and just if someone wanted to do something, even if it didn't sound that appealing at the time, you just kind of went and did it just to try it and see if you liked it. So um, just kind of putting yourself out there. And then um, for me, when I, when I would get bored or, you know, didn't have anything to do, I would really just go to the gym and that that helped because it gave me something to do and um setting goals with that aspect of um you know transitioning from a college student who was having a little bit too much fun that last semester in East Lansing to okay now you have to take care of your body and and uh also go out and meet friends so um when I didn't have things to do I would do that or I would go to the beach um, so that's always a good option, at, at least in Florida. Um, obviously not every place is going to have that option, but, um, and then slowly I started to meet people and I had people to hang out with, go camping. Um, I also found a few new hobbies. Um, play co-ed softball or lately it's been pickleball, um, so I think just finding ways to be active and also uh, in a group or team setting was uh, really helpful. How was camping in Florida comparative to Michigan? Um, it's interesting in a way where, I mean, you really can only go in the winter. It's not very enjoyable in the summer when it's super humid and uh, it thunderstorms almost every afternoon um, starting in about <laughs> mid-June through October, um, but there's a really cool spot uh, right right outside Gainesville. Uh, it's called Genie Springs, so you, you go up there and car camp, and, and it's got basically this loop of natural spring water that's super cold and clear and really good swimming spot, and you just kind of float around this 
uh, loop and then get out and carry your jeep back. So that that was super fun. Um, one time we went kayak camping, so that was pretty cool. Just kayak all of our stuff out to this island, and we made a fire out of driftwood, and it was basically just us camping on a beach. So that was super fun too. Um, but it's definitely a little different than than Michigan. Yeah, I'd have to imagine. Now, growing up, I feel like most Michiganders, you probably would have uh, described yourself as a lake guy. Is that correct? 100%, yes. Has being that close to the ocean changed your opinion? Is Forrest Taylor now more of an ocean guy? Or are you still like, oh, man, I just miss all the Great Lakes? Um. I think I'll always miss the Great Lakes just because you can swim without fear of alligators in there in a body of fresh water. So uh, I think I'm still a lake guy, but um, the ocean is nice. So um, I'm kind of 50-50, I guess. Yeah, I hear you there. Have you had a chance to go fishing in the ocean and all down there? Yeah, I do. I go fishing every once in a while. My uncle has a place in Marco Island, uh, about 30 minutes away. So I'll, I'll go out with him and, and try our luck. Um, I, I'm not a very accomplished fisherman, but I try. So it's a fun thing to do, get out in the water. Yeah, I was going to say, that's always been the nice thing about fishing to me is that you don't even really have to be good. It's just about getting out, enjoying the sun, enjoying the water, peace and quiet few drinks here and there yeah definitely just have a couple beers sandwich hang out in the sun if you catch stuff great if you don't you're still out on the water having fun so definitely beats uh the office life no i know you said uh part of what getting to know people in the new city is just kind of even when you don't want to do it forcing yourself to do it uh, and I'm sure that's led to learning a lot more, you know, new things about yourself. What are kind of some of the new hobbies or new things that you've been experimenting with that you never did back in Michigan? Because I know that's something Jake and I talk about, you know, as great as it was growing up in Oklahoma. Once you start to move around, um, you realize there's so much more to do and so many more opportunities to do things than if you just are always within, you know, your one area. Yeah, I think one of the things is just being open to to any activity, even if you haven't done it before. So uh, an example is one time uh, a couple of friends wanted to go out in the middle of the Everglades to this place called Shark Valley and go bike. And this was in the summertime, so I was a little skeptical of going out there in July. But um we ended up biking out there like two, three miles and then there's this outlook and there's gators everywhere. And we had, we brought sandwiches with us and it ended up being a great time. But, um, at first I wasn't super keen on going biking in the middle of summer. So it's just kind of getting out of that comfort zone in general. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, and I feel like that's a lot about life and growing up is just making sure that you're pushing yourself out of that comfort zone to comfort zone to learn and grow. Yeah, I think uh, being able to just be open to a multitude of activities uh, really helps, and then you kind of narrow down from there what you want to spend your time on.
if you have a YMCA near you, I highly recommend doing one of their dance classes. Jake and I did a hip hop dance fitness on Friday that was at an absolute blast and just kicked our ass like no other. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that, Sam, because that's exactly what I was just going to say. Like, I feel like uh, the YMCA, you, at least in my experience, you know, doing those kind of classes, it's just putting yourself out there in a situation you normally wouldn't. Um, and that I, you know, much to your point, Forrest, I have always found that to be, you know, I, do you guys remember the movie where Jim Carrey couldn't say no to anything? It's kind of like that when you first move to a new city, you know, you just don't yes, really want to say no. Yeah. So you can exactly. So you can just figure out what you like, what you don't like. And, you know, maybe you meet new people at something you're both just kind of like, oh, this is lame or, oh man, this is awesome. You know? And I, I think that, uh, that would be my, if I was going to give advice to somebody, that'd probably be it. Just put yourself out there like, like you were saying first, you know, cause it just makes life a lot easier. And one thing I've noticed that you've really, uh, gained uh, a really big interest in is cooking. Is that something that you've always been really passionate about or is that more living on your own, having to be responsible, just wanting to switch things up or what kind of led to that? Uh, I've, I've always kind of enjoyed it, but, um, in the past two years or so, it's really, I mean, with COVID, you couldn't really go out and order food as much at restaurants or anything. So that really um, was kind of a catalyst to get better at making things at home. Maybe if you um, don't live in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, Florida opened up pretty quick, but I've always really enjoyed it. And uh, when I was first starting out with the whole transition from college to adulting um you know eating out every meal is expensive so you kind of got to figure out how to eat at home that and make it taste good so um but i've definitely spent a lot more time in the last probably year or so uh really getting better at it and just trying different things uh learning different techniques yeah, man, I remember seeing a picture of the focaccia bread that you made, and it just blew me away. What has been uh, one of the meals that you've kind of, like, been most proud of? Because, like, to me, you know, hand-making bread or something like that, or, you know, you were talking about hand-making tortillas. Like, that's the crazy next level of accomplishment. What to you has been, like, your favorite uh, cooking accomplishment that you've done? Uh, that's a really tough question. Um there's a lot of different things that I, I tend to like to make. Um, I'm trying to think of what that one thing would be that I would be most proud of. I think I would probably go with being able to make, learning how to make bread and uh, focaccia uh, just because it's so versatile and it tastes way better uh, than when you buy it at the store. And it's pretty cool to be able to watch you know, just flour, water, salt, and yeast turn into a loaf of delicious bread. So I would, I would say I'm pretty proud of my bread making skills. And the dips that go along with it. The dip that you made yesterday for the party was freaking insane. And honestly, I'm pretty sure it was one of the first things to be completely cleaned out. The honey whipped feta, I believe it was, but that was fantastic, man. 
yeah, with the roasted olives on it, shallot, little lemon, some herbs. So yeah, that, that was a hit. That was my first time making it and I'll definitely be making that one again. So cooking wise, Forrest, if, if you had to pick a favorite meal besides bread that you've cooked for yourself, just your go-to, I just got home from work, I want to cook something, what is what are you usually drawn to in that situation? Uh, it kind of depends on if I have time to go to Publix or not. Um, but usually if I'm coming home and I'm really feeling like making uh, a homemade meal, I, I tend to lean towards pasta. So I'll make a homemade pasta dough and uh, some sort of sauce. So I really like doing a brown butter sage sauce and um, or I, I really like doing braised uh, short ribs. So you sear them up and then put it in the oven and it's cooking in tomatoes and makes its own sauce. And then you put that on your pasta and that's that's pretty awesome. So I, I like doing that. That sounds amazing. That actually, the braised short ribs, that sounds absolutely delicious. Um, and we, we've kind of already touched on this already, but, you know, besides cooking, what are some of the other things that you kind of found adult passions for in life as you've moved out of the kind of bubble that we grew up in up there in uh, mid-Michigan? So kind of going along the cooking thing, I like growing my own herbs. So uh, I got a little bit into hydroponics. So that's. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> growing, uh, <laughs> growing your plants in water that's mixed with uh, fertilizer solution so you don't really have any dirt and that that's been working pretty well because I have a balcony and I don't, I don't have a yard so being able to limit the amount of dirt that's on my balcony really uh, helps keep the patio clean and, and also it's way faster if you grow it that way because the plant has everything it needs and comes up so i've grown lettuce uh tomatoes basil thyme sage um oregano so that's that's been a a good one and, and also you kind of just it gives you something that you have to take care of and and keep alive so uh i've definitely killed my share of plants but uh it's been an interesting hobby Culture-wise, when you moved to Florida, were there any, like, big shocks or big differences from living in Michigan? Um, I would say overall, I mean, it's obviously the age demographic is a little different um, mm -hmm. with, with being older. But the west side of Florida is kind of Midwest transplant. So, I mean, a lot of the people there are not from Florida. So um, it's kind of familiar in that regard. But I mean, I think Okemos is very unique in the in the sense that um, it's, it's a, like you said, it's kind of like a little bubble with, with Michigan State right there. And um, most people knowing each other. Um, so yeah, it was a little different moving there, not really knowing too many people. So don't run into too many crazy Florida men in Naples then? No, not really. I mean, I, I haven't really, <laughs> I haven't run into a Florida man worthy article yet um, that I've actually seen. So um, I'm grateful for that. But 
I'll let you guys know if I if I do find one. Sorry, guys, I have a bit of a diaper emergency here. Um, but yeah, for us. So what, uh, what, you know, when you were comparing big cities and living in the ocean near the ocean, living in Michigan, you know, you've been to Dallas now a couple times. Is that is moving back to a bigger city something you're kind of like, is that something on the horizon for you? You pretty happy with where you're at in Naples or? Uh, I'm not really sure yet. Um, I mean, I really like Naples now that I know enough people there where um, there's people to hang out with, go to the beach, uh, take we'll rent boats pretty frequently and go out on the water. Um, so I'm not really sure if uh, I'm much of a big city person, but I guess I would find that out if I if I did move to a big city. So, but r right now, I think I'm uh, pretty happy with the beach being about a mile away. So, God, that sounds amazing, man. So, how if you had to put a percentage on how many days of the week you average go to the beach, like what what would that be at? Damn, dude, you're gonna make him do a percentage on seven days? That's so rude. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Or just maybe not a percentage, just like a number of days. If you, if you were like, oh, I go two days a week, three days a week, something. It's probably not at nearly as high as what you would think. Um, I probably 17% go. 17% of the time. <laughs> maybe, maybe once a week ish. Um, sometimes after work, I'll just go for sunset. Um, or pop over on the weekend to go, but it's definitely not as much as you would think. What do you miss uh, most about Michigan? Uh, I think the lake life and, and also just uh, you know, all my family's still in Michigan too, for the most part. So I miss being able to see them and it's, it's not really the big holidays that are the issue with, you know, missing family. Um, it's more so like the little ones, not little, but um, things like Mother's Day, Father's Day, birthdays, like you're generally not traveling as much for those. Because um, the big ones like Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're usually making plans to see each other, whether they come to Florida or I go up there. So I would say just those little family gatherings that um, pop up here and there. And yeah, most like life for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely is completely different. Now, um, have you started to see in your field and work AI creep up and pop out at all, or is that not something that's entered it, your workspace yet? I haven't really seen anything with AI yet. I'm I'm sure it will come in the form of uh, getting into data analytics and that that side of things but i i haven't seen anything personally yet but uh it seems like everything is kind of moving in that direction it's just how it's going to be applied yeah i i would be intrigued to see you know in the next coming years how that's uh incorporated with your company um i know earlier today jake took you out to the famous dealey plaza um before you went there did, what was your opinion on the jfk conspiracy did you think there was one did you believe everything the government's told us uh before i went there it was kind of just 
you know, it was Oswald and the the book repository and you know, that was that. But then actually seeing it and seeing the X's on the street where the shots took place and how close together they are, uh, it it opens the door for some of those theories to come up. Um, it's just, I, I think the driver's first reaction when you hear a gunshot is to speed up. So that makes it even harder. And then just the angles, it, seeing the actual thing, if, if you get a chance to see Dallas, I would definitely recommend going and seeing it, going to the museum where you can see it from that vantage point as well. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really know which conspiracy is, is right, but, um, Jake and I last time watched a documentary about um, basically the first shot being coming from the book building and then the second shot coming from the follow car from the, the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty captivating theory. Just with They went into all the ballistics of what things would happen with certain size bullets, and it was pretty interesting. So, But I, I'm not sure I'm completely sold either way, but um maybe someday we'll find out what actually happened yeah i mean you know one of the things that i always tell people is that you look at the zapruder film and you look at you know every documentary that's ever been made on it you watch the movie the oliver stone movie jfk you don't realize how small and compact that area is on that part of elm street and it it really it's just wild to me that such in such an enclosed area that so many different people had relatively similar uh, similar experiences of how the events unfolded. And, uh, you know, I was just telling Boris this morning, it is wild to me that in such a small enclosed area that um, uh, the acoustics would have somehow made that many different people just randomly run up the grassy knoll. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't know what the conspiracy is, but from my experience, in reality, what it probably is is that the government knows more than they're ever going to tell us. They probably had some kind of intel before. Well, they did. They obviously knew that Oswald was had worked with the CIA and had been back and forth to Russia and Mexico city. And um, yeah, it's actually the second time that Forrest and I went there. The first time when you first came to visit, we did the whole museum, the whole nine. And yeah, I, I wish I could remember what the name of that documentary was, but it was on Amazon prime. So free plug. Um, but I, I agree with you. I thought that was a really captivating theory about how the Secret Serviceman, in an effort to determine where the shooter was as he's pulling the gun up, has a loose trigger finger and blows out the back of Kennedy's head. Which, if you watch the Zapruder film and you put it together, you know, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that being uh being the way it went down. But Oswald being the only person that committed it... Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Well, and aren't there still documents that are yet to be released by the government, Jake? Yes, Forrest and I were just talking about that. You know, the CIA, the Secret Service, they have documents that they're supposed to declassify. And the president 
Obama did some, Trump did some. Um, I don't know of Biden, but they declassified these documents and uh, there's some rule, uh, I'd have to look it up, but there's some rule where they can, the presidents can either declassify it or they can shelve it for another 25 to 50 years. So, um, you know, the sad part is we'll probably never know the truth, but the government knows what happened. They have the whole story. And if it truly was as simple as Oswald being the only person that pulled the trigger, you know, is that possible? Sure. I mean, I, it is possible. Do I, do I think that's what happened? No, I, I personally don't. But, you know, it, it is one of the, the great sliding doors in American history. Um, my sister-in-law, who's here from Poland, she really wanted to go. She really liked Stephen King, and Stephen King wrote this book called uh, 11 63 It's about the day that Kennedy was shot, and that's what she was saying. That's what she was really interested in is kind of, oh, what would the world be like had Kennedy lived? You know, what would America be like had Kennedy lived? I, um, It's a nice... Uh, coffee cup, beer, vodka, sit around the campfire type, you know, kind of like the conversation we're having now. It, it's it's a good starter. Yeah, they made uh, a show out of it, too. It was really good. But, yeah, it was a great book. I just think it's super interesting if it's classified. I mean, I, th- I think it's got to go deeper than just, oh, if it – assuming that it was an accident – the second shot was an accident from the Secret Service because obviously that's – the Secret Service's mission is to protect the president. So with what happened, that's a major failure. But I, I just can't see the classification being only to cover up um, any failures within the Secret Service. So I think there's something more to it. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's a, I've always looked at government secrets as the iceberg, you know, where they say what 10 percent is visible and the 90 percent is below the water. Um, cause I just always think, you know, if we've found out the things that we found out and the government's, you know, admitted to certain things like MK ultra, what are the things that they are continuing to hide and not let us see, you know, those are going to be the really dark secrets. But once again, you know, I don't think that's anything that would ever truly reach the public's eyes until definitely past our lifetimes. Maybe someday, but um, I think a lot of this stuff, we're learning about things that the government did back in the 60s, 70s, 80s that you never would have known at the time. And um, I think it'll continue that way. I think the iceberg analogy is the perfect analogy for it. Yeah. And I mean, to your guys' point, you know, look at what we have learned about the United States government. Uh, over time, you have the Japanese internment camps or concentration camps um, back during World War II, where they basically rounded up everybody with uh, Japanese descent and put them in forced labor camps. Um, pretty disgusting. We tend to gloss over the not so nice parts of what our government does. The United States government and the CIA hand in hand have been not so covertly trying to subvert every South American um, country at one point in time or another. 
the revolution or, you know, the, the uh, Bay of Pigs where they tried to kind of start an uprising in Cuba. I mean, the amount of shady stuff that the U.S. government has been doing, you know, one of the Operation Paperclip, um, during our hiatus while Sam was on vacation, uh, unfortunately I didn't have time, but one of the things I did want to talk, uh, to the audience about, and I will eventually, but Operation Paperclip, if anyone out there is interested in the United States history, a very fascinating time period in the United States history is right leading up to the creation of the atom bomb and the very end of World War II and kind of that five to ten year period right after World War II. The United States was recruiting every single Nazi scientist they could, one, because they didn't want the Russians to get them, and two, because, you know, they... Uh, they recognized um, that these were some of the brightest minds on the planet. And if they could be harnessed into working towards a different goal, we might be able to make some use out of them. And um, if you want, just Google the name Werner Braun, uh, W-E-R-N-E-R-B-R-A-U-N. He is one of the... Uh, I guess founder might not be the right word, but he's one of the first major big people at NASA. So we basically had one of the former Nazi scientists help found NASA. Many of them worked at NASA afterwards. So, um, but yeah, just kind of tying back into uh, all the weird stuff that our, that our government has done. Um, I guess while we're on the subject, guys, you know, What's kind of your biggest U.S. government conspiracy that you believe in, since we're on the subject now? That's an interesting question. Um, I'm trying to think of what mine would be. Sam, do you have yours? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, does it have to be something that hasn't been proved because I mean I, I would say MK Ultra for me because that obviously ended up being true yeah I don't think it needs to I, I don't think it needs to be something that hasn't been proven true because to your point Sam I mean I guess the conspiracy either... would be how deep and far the actual entire reach of it went because once again like I feel whatever they discovered about it um not have to refresh, but I definitely feel like I remember that there's missing documents, uh, burned documents, that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, the CIA to me is the shadiest arm of the government, man. The fact that they would, you know, start from drugging their own employees to then, uh, random people, just whoever they felt like, like that's such an insane reach of power. Um, all in an effort to try to find some sort of truth serum. I think for me, it would be uh, our involvement in Laos and Cambodia during Vietnam uh, and how that was all covered up. Uh, and a lot of it still is to this day covered up with uh, all the incursions into Laos and Cambodia, all the bombing, all of the special forces teams going over there, which I mean, we know about that now, but how it was all covered up um, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, especially for the families. I actually have a cousin who was a Green Beret and was declared missing in action. Um, and his family didn't find out till decades later that that's where he was. He wasn't in Vietnam. 
what was the purpose? Was it a land grab? Was it, did they think it was going to help the war or were there like some sort of natural resources they wanted there? Uh, it was to interdict the Ho Chi Minh Trail where they were basically the North was bringing supplies and men and material into South Vietnam, but they were going through Laos and Cambodia so that um, the Air Force couldn't bomb them. Or at least wasn't supposed to be bombing them, but we definitely were bombing them. Oh, we definitely were. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And again, that one is, you know, I feel like that one will bear some fruit as the years pass by and more of the people that were around then aren't around and the government won't feel nearly as obligated to keep that stuff to itself. Um, but to Sam's point, you know, everything that we know is only going to scratch the surface of what the government actually does. So that, you know, it, I mean, it's kind of weird, but, and it sucks, but it's also at the same time, how many people would want to know every single thing that your government is doing? That's another kind of interesting hypothetical. Like, would you really be okay if you do about every single dirty thing and nasty, disgusting thing the U.S. government was doing? Yeah, I don't think I would want to know everything, but there are definitely certain that I would want to know. Um, but I think it would it would depend on <laughs> what it was, I guess. Yeah, um, it's, it's a very interesting subject, you know, and, and um, I, uh, I, we could do a completely separate podcast on that, but one of the, one of the other that, uh, we wanted to talk with you today about Boris, and it, it kind of, uh, rolls into this. So adult, being an adult in this day and age, it is so much different than being an adult was when our parents were raising us. You know, what are some of the things that you have noticed, Forrest, on your end that make being an adult in the 2020s so much different than even 10 years ago? You know, when we were, you know, for me, I would have been in just graduating college. You guys uh, would have been getting ready to graduate. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you've noticed that make life a little bit different now? than they would have been, you know, 10, 20 years ago, say. I think definitely getting through COVID is a big difference, um, which, I mean, we never really had as big of a shutdown worldwide uh, for a pandemic before that. So then dealing with that, um, basically having a year or two where, you're really not traveling as much. You're not going out as much. It's the whole work from home impact. Um, so that was different. And then with what happened with real estate over the last two years um, has been pretty insane. So uh, a lot of people our age are not able to get into homes at affordable interest rates. So the interest rates are going through the roof. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Um, but then to your point, you said 10 years ago, well, a little more than 10, but obviously there was the 08 market crash too. So, um, 
I think the biggest thing is is COVID really that we've had to deal with um, adjusting. And I think we're still feeling the impacts of it with all of the supply chain issues we're still encountering and probably will continue to encounter for the next two years is going to make uh, life economically pretty interesting. Yeah, it's just been such a wild last few years, you know, and I, the only other time, the only other event that I can think of that it was, and I mean, it was mostly life-changing for us as Americans, maybe other people around the world too, but 9-11, you know, I'll never forget, life really did change so much right after 9-11 with how they how they do airport security, how they handle the entire process from the second you set foot onto the airport property until the second that you're off of it. You know, it really changed the way that we think about travel a lot. And then COVID, you know, in a lot of ways, COVID has done the same thing, too. And, uh, you know, outside of it being politically bastardized and uh, really manipulated by um, a lot of the politicians that that work in our country um that's the only other thing i can compare it to even though it's not a good a great comparison or even a relatively good one but in terms of just like a single event that really switches how people look at living their day-to-day lives like that really is the only other thing i can compare it to yeah i think that's a really good comparison to 9-11 i mean i remember flying we flew that Christmas after 9-11 and there was, I mean, significant military presence at all the airports, fully armed soldiers all over the place. Um, and people really didn't know what to do. And that uncertainty is very similar to what we saw with COVID of, Oh, well, is it okay to go on a plane? Is it okay to go eat at a restaurant? Um, you know, figuring that stuff out and no one really knew. So it caused a big, big panic so I, I think that you're spot on with that major event um really changing the world completely yeah and i just feel like you know to to your point too now it's just you are on your tiptoes about a lot nowadays um not even just with covid but with you know, I mean, with with everyday interactions with people, now I'm kind of at the point where, okay, I don't know if this person has a gun or not, but I know that in the state of Texas, you don't need a license to have a concealed weapon on you. You don't need a permit. So is it really worth me honking at that person that cut me off on 75 on my way to work? Mm, probably not. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really, I'm not trying to test somebody's anger issues if they have a trigger finger and that I, I don't genuinely believe that's something my parents have ever had to worry about. Um, maybe that, maybe they worry about it now. I don't, I don't know, but you know, life is just so much different for us. Um, because Florida, I, you know, I don't know exactly what their gun laws are for us, but I know that they're much, probably much closer to ours than, say, you know, Colorado or Michigan or something like that. Yeah, they just passed uh, 
a bill for I think starting July 1st, you don't need a permit anymore for conceal con, for concealment, which I mean, I, I don't really like that. I'd like someone to at least know, hey, you can't go into a bar with a gun. It, that's not allowed. That's you're not allowed to carry it there. And you learn that in the class to get your permit. So I think now people just know, oh, I can carry a gun whenever I want. You know, I can walk into a bank, walk into a federal building. Like, there's no class to tell you, hey, hey like, don't walk into a bank or a federal building or you're going to get arrested. And, oh, by the way, it's a felony with a 10-year sentence. Mandatory. So um, I I don't really like that aspect of it. But to your point, I think I think we saw something really weird coming out of COVID with, remember all the people on planes with the masks and, like, I'm not wearing a mask and they're like assaulting airline attendants and just all of those incidents that we saw. I think COVID just seemed really weird to people's temper or, or I mean, I, to your point, is it worth honking at that person on the highway just because they cut you off? I mean, probably not unless it's to avoid an accident. So. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, life's a lot different now, that's for sure. But speaking of guns, though, Forrest, um, I have always known you as a very responsible gun owner. You know, you were on the shooting team in college. What is your definition of a responsible gun owner in the United States of America in 2023? What does that look like for you? Uh, I think for me, it's... um access so definitely managing access to the guns so uh, mine are always locked up in a safe either in a safe or or with a trigger guard at least so you can't grab it immediately and use it without authorization so i mean is that safe going to hold up if you take it away from my house and have enough crowbars and time on your hands no but it's me doing my due diligence to make sure okay you can't immediately access um, my firearms without my permission, unless you're breaking the law by breaking into my apartment and stealing them. So uh, that's a big component to it. And then just knowing safe usage of them. So um, not pointing at something you're not willing to destroy, knowing what's behind your target, uh, keeping your finger off the trigger when you're not ready to use it. all of those are super important and um, obviously not brandishing them out in public or um, immediately, you know, flashing your gun to someone if they piss you off. Like that's just, it's, it's a temperament thing, um, which I don't really carry at all. So I don't usually have it on me in that capacity. But I did during Irma when I was evacuating Florida, and I was really glad I had it uh, then just because people were going nuts, like just very, very crazy time, um, you know, running out of gas on the highway, that that type of thing. People were just, it was a very strange time, and I was really glad that I had that in case anything went down. But luckily, nothing happened, so. Yeah. Well, on uh, a wider note, uh, t- 
top five this week. We're going to do uh, our top five favorite meals to make. Uh, Chef Forrest, you want to kick up, kick us off with your number five? Chef Boyardee. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go with a, a well-executed burger. Um, you really can't beat it. Uh, I remember Sam used to make stuffed burgers, and those were pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just a, a well-executed burger, whether you're making the patty or not, um, and then toasting the bun and having the good condiments with it, good cheese, uh, you really just can't beat it. So I'll, I'll go with that one. It's a classic. Now, are you strictly grill your burger only, or do you ever get the frying pan involved in a pinch? Uh, I've done them in the frying pan. I'm not against doing it in the frying pan if push comes to shove, but I, my preference is definitely a really hot grill. Yeah, I hear you on that one. Yeah, if, five, I, if I don't have a grill, I'm not going to make one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm with you. If, I mean, luckily I have a grill, so it's not a big deal, but, you know. What's yours, Sam? Oh, I thought Jake was going to go with his number five. Um, but, you know, my number five was uh, KFC Bowl. Uh, you know, just making mashed potatoes, popcorn chicken, corn, cheese, and gravy. Um, terrible for you, but super delicious, especially when it's homemade. Sounds like something straight out of the Okemos High School cafeteria. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah, that was Jake? funny. Uh, well, I, I was just going to mentioned really quickly marta we had told marta my sister-in-law about what all you could buy at the middle school cafeteria in america and the look on her face i'll never forget it her eyebrows might as well have touched the sun they were so high up she was just shocked pizza bosco sticks you know the whole nine um i just thought it was funny have you guys seen those lunch comparisons where it just shows like lunch in your average u.s school versus like other countries and it's just, their stuff looks like it's coming from a restaurant and ours looks like it came from a microwave yeah yeah man it, it's depressing um and you know to to one of the things i kind of wish i had more information on when i was younger was you know healthy eating but good healthy eating because you can make a burger i mean you can make a burger relatively healthy depending on what how you choose to make it. You know what I'm saying? Because ground beef is not bad for you just on its own, like cooked ground beef, which is what a burger is most of the time. Um, my number five was a very big staple food for mine, but uh, grilled chicken, a steamed vegetable, and rice. I know exactly how, you know, how to make it. I know the seasonings I want to use on the chicken. I get usually my my go-to vegetable if I'm boiling, it's going to be Brussels sprouts or broccoli if I'm doing steamed. But I love the flavor combo, the chicken and rice. It can be as bland or as flavorful as you want it to be. But, yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I think going uh, going back to what you said about nutritional value I, I think uh growing up i definitely didn't really understand the correlation between what i was eating and and just overall weight but we were all swimmers and water polo players so uh 
you know, it's kind of easy when you're burning six, 7,000 calories every day with two a days that you can kind of eat whatever you want, but yeah, <laughs> is it the best way to fuel your body? And I think we've all figured that out in adulthood that no, it's not the best way just to, you know, not all calories are built the same. Um, so I, I wish I'd known that earlier, but I, I figured it out eventually. What about number four for us? What you got for us on deck? Uh, my number four is a good grilled cheese, preferably with tomato soup uh, and homemade bread. Um, Great. That there's so many different combinations you can do with that too, with toppings. Uh, I've made them before with uh, brie, chorizo, thin sliced apple, and a little pesto. I've made them with um, caramelized onions is there's so many different things you can do but then it's just such a classic um meal for me that um that, that's my number four for sure samwise um yeah tomato soup is gross uh my number what? four is uh oven fajitas just uh, super nice and easy, you know, throw the chicken, the peppers and the onions, seasoning. Um, yeah, I love it. I think the combination of taste and easiness is always an important decision when making my own food. We'll come back to you not liking tomato soup off the tomato soup when we're all off the podcast. Cause uh, I have a it's... bone to pick with you on that. Yeah. It's like the same thing as bloody Mary's, uh, but yeah, no, I mean that you can check that with the family. I've not liked tomato soup as a kid. I would always, whenever mom would make it for you guys, and you guys would have grilled cheese, I would want like just chicken noodle or something else. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's there's fair. definitely a difference between probably the Campbell's tomato that we all kind of grew up with, and and making your own too. So. Oh yeah, but even like nice tomato soup. No, I'm good. We can agree to disagree. I don't want to yuck someone's yum too much. Yeah, my number four was um, my number four was just a nice, uh, simple, quick breakfast. Uh, it's yogurt, peanut butter, and fruit. And I'll just take some Greek yogurt and put some peanut butter in it stir it all up, and then I'll cut up whatever fruit I have available. Normally, my go-to is a banana because I love bananas, but I've done it with blueberry, raspberry, strawberries. It really tastes great. I love the flavor combo of the peanut butter and the fruit, uh, especially the berries and the bananas. And, you know, it is outside of the farmer's breakfast. Um, it is my favorite breakfast meal for sure. So that was my number four. The farmer's uh, breakfast, Jake's favorite. What was uh, your third one, Forrest? My number three, I'm going to go with, um, it's this gochujang braised chicken legs, and I'll make ramen with it. And then I'll usually um, saute up some bok choy with it. But basically, you brown off the chicken legs and then you put this gochujang paste which is this korean like uh fermented chili paste with some soy sauce and 
Uh, I'm trying to remember what else is in it, but there's there's like a mixture of soy sauce, sesame oil, um, chili flakes, a bunch of stuff, uh, chicken broth, and then you let that cook for like an hour, and then I take the chicken out and I'll make the ramen with the broth, and it's amazing. Um, it's it's one of my go-to meals, so I really like it. Damn man, that sounds amazing. Although Dude, very yeah. labor intensive, I'm not gonna lie. You know, it's really not that. It, it takes me like an hour to put together. Damn. Um, okay, that's not as bad. That's I, not I, bad I, at it all. It sounded it's like sweet, three hours spicy. when you were describing it. No, it really it only cooks for like forty five minutes, and then you add in another like ten to sear off the chicken, and yeah, so it, it comes together pretty quick. Nice. Um, my number three was, uh, just a classic chili. Uh, once again, nice and easy. Uh, definitely a very Midwest staple meal. Uh, not something I'll really like make during the summer. Cause I don't know. It's just something I like to eat when it's cold outside. Dude, chili, yeah, nothing a good, beats a good, a chili. good chili on a cold day. You can't, you really can't beat it with some cheese, maybe some sour cream, depending on your preferences, but Good chili with all the sides, maybe some bread to go with it. Can't yeah, it. cornbread. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, for all the new parents out there, just uh, make sure when you feed your kid chili, it's just one meal and not more than that. You'll thank me later. <laughs> um, my number three was what I call a taco bake. And basically what it is is you make your taco meat your ground beef and you season it, you know, how, how I would normally season it, um, cumin, onion, salt, garlic, uh, salt, pepper, uh, chili flakes, smoked paprika, paprika, you cook the meat, you dice up a ton of, uh, well, a white onion, I suppose, and you cook everything. And then in reality, what you're doing is you're basically making a cake almost, and it's just a tortilla, beef, cheese, tortilla, beef, cheese. You stack it all up. I use a combination of uh, shredded and liquefied cheese. You bake it in the oven, 350, uh, for about, I don't know, 20-ish, 30 minutes maybe. But it's absolutely delicious. I love cooking it. I don't, we don't eat it a lot because it's very filling, um, but it's amazing, man. Yeah, I love it. So that was my number three. Midwest casserole meets Tex-Mex. <laughs> <laughs> what you got for number two for us? Uh, my number two, I really like making dessert. So uh, I know it's not really a meal, but it kind of is a meal in itself. Um so I, I really like to make cobblers. So uh, cherry cobbler, blueberry cobbler, peach cobbler uh, with the cake topping on it. And then Damn. sometimes I'll make it like crunchy with uh, add some oats on it. Ooh. And uh, yeah, it, it, it almost turns into like a crisp at that point. But yeah, they're pretty awesome. Throw some vanilla ice cream on it and you're going to be pretty happy. Yeah, I, I would be. I would kill to eat something like that. I was gonna say that sounds amazing right now. 
Uh, my number two, uh, sometimes I have it as a dessert, but mostly for breakfast and as a snack later on in the day, but, uh, protein smoothies, just, uh, you know, scoop of protein powder, oat milk, pineapple juice, frozen fruit, bada bing, bada boom, delicious, nutritious, bada bing, bada boom. Good to know. Yeah, my number two. Oh, my bad, sir. Oh, you can take it. <laughs> <laughs> is that a, a post yoga treat, Tim? Yeah. Or and, uh, some, well, it depends how hungry I am. Because um, I don't like going on like too empty of a stomach, but I also can't go on like a full stomach. So, depending on how much I eat for lunch and like what time I may have it before I go to yoga or afterwards, but I definitely, uh, make it usually right after I get up and then have it on my walk with Jackson. Yeah. Full stomach, happy baby probably is not a good combination for you. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, my number two is one that my wife taught me how to make and it is the polish name for it is zraza and it roughly translates to beef roll it is i don't know if it's my favorite polish dish but it's one of them and it's a really thin slice of beef you put some what kind of mustard honey dijon Dijon mustard uh, on top of the beef after you've uh, salted it and then you put a slice of bacon and you quarter um, dill pickles and you cut up a white onion and you roll all of it. You roll the piece of beef, the onion, cucumber, not cucumber, the onion pickle, bacon, you roll it all up. You put a toothpick through it. You dip it in some flour. You fry it on both sides and then you bake it. And it just has, it is just, I don't know, the flavor combo on it. It's, it's incredible. I love it. It is a little bit labor intensive, but it is so worth it at the end. And, you know, after you eat like 10 of them, you just want to go lay down and not move for an hour. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Those pierogies that Amelia made on Friday, though, out of this world. So good. Yeah, man. Those really were just uh, the cat's meow. Yeah, if I could land every flight and be greeted by that, I'd be a very happy man. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Um, what do you got for your number one, dude? Uh, my number one, I I really like any homemade pasta, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna narrow it down. I really like making lasagna. Um, so you make a a beef uh, tomato sauce, and then I learned how to make my own ricotta, which sounds super labor intensive, but it's really not that bad. You just heating up milk to a certain temperature and then adding vinegar and that makes it split uh, into the curd in a way. And then you just drain it and it tastes so much better than any store-bought ricotta I've ever bought. So that was pretty awesome last time I made lasagna. So I'll definitely be doing that again. Very nice. Sam, what you got? That's wild. Um, Yeah, I mean, uh, quesadillas, my go-to, my favorite meal to have, uh, 10 days out of 10. I love them. Super easy. Uh, Shrimp are the best ones, and then chicken after that. 
What about Green. you, Jake? What do you have for uh, your number one? My number one is just the all-American farmer's breakfast. The fried potatoes, the bacon, and the eggs. Um, I've never made business and gravy before, but just from how I like to make it, you know, if you want toast, I'll make you toast. But sunny side up eggs, I can make scrambled eggs. Um, I could, I could do hash browns, but I just prefer the fried potatoes. Um, I've never been upset with that as a meal at any point in time in my, pretty much in my entire life from what I can remember. And it is by far my favorite thing to cook. It's some of the only times that I, um, I remember as a child, you know, dad sitting next to me and like teaching me how to cook it. And, uh, you know, Papa used to teach me how to cook it. So it just brings back a lot of warm memories. So that would definitely be my number one. Yeah. You can't go wrong with that full American breakfast, whether you make it or you get it at Sparty's Coney Island. Exactly. You're going to be a happy camper. And full. <laughs> yep. Uh, righty. So what do, what do we got next, Sam? We got a couple more things left on the agenda, I feel like, don't we? Yeah, it's definitely time for the quote zone. Quote zone. Quote zone. Quote zone. Uh, Forrest, uh, do you want to do us the honor of leading off with uh, your quote? Por favor. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I think. Jake will get this one. I don't know if Sam will know it, though. We'll see. Um, But my quote is, a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan next week. Eisenhower. Nope. Um, Is it a U.S. president? All right, what was that, Jake? Was it a president that said it? No. Uh, Patton. Yep, you got it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes because it's uh, really just not getting lost in indecision, and and it kind of tells you, hey, you know, make a decision now instead of trying to make the perfect decision later. Um, so you don't get lost in the analysis paralysis, and you kind of just make a decision based on the information you have. Yeah, and especially on the battlefield, you have to be able to do that. Originally, I was just going to blindly guess Sun Tzu, so I feel like that was kind of close. Yeah, you both had good uh, good logic on your guess. I mean, Eisenhower was a good guess, too. Yeah, I love me some Eisenhower. Um, I guess, yeah, I guess I'll go, uh, I'll go next. Um, yeah. My quote is, believe you can, and you're halfway there. Um, is it by a sports person? No, it's a president. Oh, uh, I was going to say, it's kind of like, kinda like uh, some sort of like Michael Jordan thing. Like Nike yeah, probably. it does, kind of, yeah. Can you say it one more time? It's believe you can, and you're halfway there. Teddy Roosevelt? There you go, boom. Nice. Yeah, I just like that quote because I think, you know, it's very similar to just showing up as 90% of getting something done. So whether it's going to the gym or your job, that consistency, believing that you have the ability to do something, 
that that is the mental aspect of every single battle, every single situation that we are in every day as humans. So much of it is constructed within our own minds. We battle ourselves mentally all of the time. And so just believing you have the power to do something, that's such a huge part of getting something done. Um, so I just that quote really resonated with me. So I'm honestly surprised I got it. It was a great guess, man. You 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 hit the nail on the head. Quite literally, the guess was going to be Gerald Ford, only Michigan president. Sam, what you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, mine's far less educated than both of yours. Um, I don't think either of you will get it. Forrest, you you don't watch Vanderpump Rules by chance, do you? Mm, No. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so then, yeah, neither of you guys will get it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's the show on Bravo. It's been on for, like, ten uh, seasons, so it's been around for a while. And it's about this uh, bar out in Los Angeles and all the crazy people that work at it. And uh, this season, the tenth season, there's this huge, huge cheating scandal and, uh, anyways, on the preview, there's this, uh, British guy on it. His name's James Kennedy. And he, uh, calls them, uh, poo-poo heads. And it's just really funny to hear, like, grown adults calling each other poo-poo heads. It's like, poo-poo heads, both of you, poo-poo heads. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find the link and send it to you guys. It's pretty funny. Uh, last but not least, we have Word of the Week. Word of the Week. Word of the Week. Word of the Week. Word, word of the Week. Uh, I'll lead off with mine. Uh, maniacal. Uh, going along with my BPR theme, it's uh, exhibiting extremely wild or violent behavior. Um, and a lot of the people on the show are pretty maniacal. Jake, what you got? I went with a really simple word, but I wanted to express uh, my gratitude for our friendship, um, Forrest. And, and the word I chose is friendship. It's the emotions or conduct of friends, the state of being friends. Um, I'm just very grateful for our friendship, man. I love you to death. Your family, uh, your family to us. And um we're just very happy that you were able to come here and hang out with us this weekend and time with us. I know Apollo was super happy to meet you and hang out. So, um, yeah, that was my word of the week was friendship. Yeah, it was awesome to meet Apollo. I'm glad to be here, Jake. And you went way, way deeper than my word. But, uh, yeah, man, appreciate it. Love you, man. Love you, too. Uh, buddy. I chose frolic. <laughs> Because I just I really like saying it, <laughs> and it's uh I guess the actual definition a playful or mischievous action. So, yeah, I guess uh, it's been fun frolicking in in Dallas with you guys. Yeah, we have been frolicking, haven't we? Yep. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again for coming on. Forest. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. We, uh, I think we got what we needed to, but we're definitely going to need to have you back on for a Kennedy conspiracy only podcast. I, I feel like you would be a really good 
resource for us. You and I kind of are aligned uh, similarly on a lot of these views, but um, anything you wanted to shout or plug in before we get you out of here? Yeah, I think I really need to go watch that Amazon Prime documentary again and brush up on the, the conspiracies <laughs> before we talk again. But yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, we'll give you like a two, three weeks heads up because I'll need to mentally prepare for that as well and get back in the get back in the mental lab and get myself ready for it. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Brothers and Others, hosted by the Marsh Brothers. We wanted to remind you to email us at brothersmarsh at gmail.com with any questions you'd like answered on the pod or any topics you'd like covered. You can also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at brothers, capital N, others. Last but not least, ensure to leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That's, That's it for now. now. Until, Until next time. time.